Jonathan so eloquently reminding us joy is sometimes hard to grasp our present circumstances make that almost impossible at times. The things of the world that creep into our lives color the landscape and our perspective on things in such a way that it's often very hard to find joy in our day, our week, our month. There are seasons that are just more challenging than others. And so if you find yourself in one of those this morning, my prayer is that you would be encouraged by God's Word, by the truths of His Word, that there is joy in this world to be had, and that joy comes from Him. I am going to um, present a little bit differently than usual. I want to walk through verses 8 through 20, um, probably a little quicker than usual. Um, I'm going to go a little bit faster. We're going to focus this morning on verse 10 in particular. Uh, But for context sake, will you read with me verses 8 through 20? We were, were told that in the same region, there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Put your selves in the sandals of these shepherds. They were probably adolescents, young. It's night, they're tired, hungry, cranky, dealing with a bunch of stupid sheep who like to wander, keeping their eyes open for predators, trying to pay attention, maybe telling each other some jokes to keep each other focused or awake. But it's in verse 9 that an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And we're told that the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. In the original Greek, there is an adjective there that's missing here. It's the Greek word mega. You guys know that word? But they were mega terrified. You know, suddenly everything's bright. And there's this being, this celestial being in front of them. And the glory of the Lord is shining all around them in the darkness of night. But, in contrast, verse 10, the angel of the Lord said, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. It's a command, it's an imperative, don't be afraid. I know it's hard. I know you're scared right now, but don't be afraid. Why? Because I proclaim to you good news of great joy. And the thing that's interesting to me, that's been interesting this week, is that great joy stands in contrast of that great terror. That that word mega is in front of both of those words. On the one hand, we can have great fear, and yet the Lord tells us not to be afraid, but to have what? Great joy instead. In the midst of our circumstances, however great they are, His joy is greater. Amen, church? And this great joy, this mega joy, will be for all peoples. All peoples. And we would interpret that all ethnicities, all nations, all nationalities, all tongues. That this was not just good news for just the the Jews, but for us Gentiles as well. Today in the city of David, he goes on, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the long-awaited, expectant, prophesied one, the Lord. This baby that's born today is your your Savior. He is the long-prophesied Messiah. And what else? He's the Lord. God himself, Emmanuel, we just got done singing, among us in the flesh, this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped rightly in cloth and lying in a manger. 
Now, that right there, usually presented all cutesy. See, there's hay in it. It's just a feeding trowel. This, this majestic king of glory has come to you in, in, in utter humility, subjugated to, exposed to the elements, and he's just laying, laying in a feeding trowel. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger, and then suddenly, in addition to this angel, there was a multitude of the heavenly host, the heavenly army, with that particular angel, and they were all praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. The grace of God, that word favor is grace. The grace of God that is now bestowed on his peoples. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go. Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has revealed to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and, right, the baby who was lying in the the manger, just as the angel had said, And after seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I'm sure some of them were doubting, right? That's that's an interesting story, bro. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Just as a side note, Mary did know that song that you love, that Christmas song, guess what? She knew. It's, it's a, it sounds it's a great melodic song, but she knew. I'll just save you the trouble. She was treasuring all of these things, not just the things that the shepherd had said, but the angel had told her directly and the evidence of all of it. And she's treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And then in verse 20, the shepherds returned to their fields, to their flocks, doing what? Glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as had been told to them. This morning... Our theme is joy, and I've titled the sermon Expectant Joy, that there is a joy to be had and there's a joy to be expected. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I just, I walk through this life and I don't expect joy. You know, I I, I kind of have this cynical attitude that joy might hit me occasionally, right? But it's not something I necessarily should expect, But in the context of our passage, this is what the Jews were expecting, the Messiah. And in the context of of our faith, this is something that we should be expecting. Why? Because our Messiah is coming again. And our joy is directly attached, folks, to Messiah, to Jesus Christ. This is what I want to flesh out this morning as we... Talk about his joy. Before we do that, I want to make a clarification. We're talking about joy. We're not talking about happiness. There is a distinction, and it's, it's hard to round out a bit to me. But but we're not talking about happiness. We're talking about joy. What is happiness? Happiness is out there. It's external. It, it happens to us, and it's momentary. Joy is something different. It's it's internal. It's within. It's not necessarily attached to the external circumstances of things. It's it's deeper. It's richer. I go to Disneyland and I can be happy for a little bit until I see something stupid, you know, until I experience something. And then the happiness is fleeting. 
But with joy, joy is not fleeting. Let me say this. The joy of the Lord is not fleeting. But joy is is longer. There's just a duration to it. Let me give you an example of this. If you've ever, you know, been sick and struggled with sickness or some kind of debilitating disease or some kind of hurt, right? Your, your external circumstances are not happy, right? But there's this thing with, with the Lord that we can still, in the midst of those trying circumstances, have joy. You know, I've, I've been struggling with this. For a while now, right? Because if you're a guest, you don't know this, but I am transitioning out. I've stepped down as the senior pastor here at the Way Fellowship Church, a church I planted 17 years ago. And it's been hard, folks. I appreciate your continued prayers, but it's been hard because I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy. It's just being obedient to the Lord. And I know that when I go back to teaching these high school punks, I'm going to be teaching English again. I, I, I have a desire. I know I'll be happy in that. But joy is something else than just my present external circumstances. There's an internal joy because I know that I'm following the Lord. I know that the Lord has good plans for me. And my family. And guys, I know the Lord has good plans for you. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, For the joy that lay before him, who's him, Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This might be the The best explanation of what joy is, it's not our present circumstances. It's something deeper, something richer. It's attached to the Lord and his personhood. That Jesus, in the middle of his circumstances, was he happy about going to the cross? No. But there was a joy that centered him as he stepped out and continued to obey the Father. And so, first off and foremost, joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness is fleeting. Joy, if it's in the right object, is eternal. That leads us to three quick points here. Well, I don't know how quick they'll be. I'm always long-winded. But number one, this one's quick. Our joy is only as strong as the object of such joy. So as we begin to talk about joy and think through this, first... Our joy is only as strong, you might insert the word lasting there, it's only as lasting or as strong as the object of our joy. And then number two, because of that, any expectation for earthly joy will only slash always leave us disappointed. Any expectation for earthly joy will always leave us disappointed. Let me give you some examples in my own life. Maybe you can identify them with them. Maybe maybe not. I'm going to do my best here. My first time to Disneyland, I hated it. I cried. I was scared of everything. According to my parents, they have pictures to prove it. Okay? My second time, though, you know, a little bit older, a little bit more confident, less insecure, whatever. Like, it was amazing. It it was like a child's dream playground, right? Just overwhelmingly joyful. And, and, and I've gone back to Disneyland. Christy and I have gone to Disneyland like so many times, right? And we love Disneyland. We, are we honeymoon in Disneyland? We kept going to Disneyland. And every time we went, we bought an ornament. And we bought a mug. And you can go in our house and you can see on the Christmas tree these ornaments. And you can open up our cupboard and get some coffee and you can see those mugs. But here's the thing. 
our expectation for earthly joy will always leave us disappointed. As I'm hanging up Disneyland Disney ornaments this year on my tree, I'm asking the question, like, why am I doing this? Given everything that Disneyland has become, Disney has become lately, I'm questioning. I'm not as joyful anymore. I'm not excited and happy. And like, you know, it doesn't mean as much to me as it used to. They've killed Disney. Wokeism, whatever, I mean, it's just killed it for me. Do I really want to go back and spend all that money? Our joy is only as strong and lasting as the object of that joy. Any expectation for earthly joy will only and always eventually leave us disappointed. You know, in my lifetime, I can think of other things that have brought me joy. You know, some basketball games that I won. First time I ever slam dunked the basketball. You know, graduation number one, graduation number two, graduation number three. She's waiting for it. Here it is, my wedding day. But but listen, Christy knows this. She'll admit the same thing for me. Our marriage, the joy of our marriage, there's been days where I've been disappointed in her and myself. There's been days where that joy didn't last, that I was left wondering, where is it at? She, she's I'm sure she has asked that question more than me. The birth of my three kids, that joy lasts forever as they get older and older and disappoint sometimes. You you see, our joy is only as strong as the object of that joy. Yes, like I'm blessed with four, there's almost said three, four great kids. But, but even they disappoint sometimes. I disappoint them, you know. And, And I can go on and on. Like, you know, the, the first day we got Mia, when we got to adopt Mia, you know, trips, family trips, vacations, baptizing each child, each of my four children. But guys, there's no guarantee that because I baptize them, they're going to stay with the Lord the rest of their life. And that I might be disappointed later. Our joy is only as strong as the object of our joy. Our expectation for joy in anything other than the Lord will always leave us disappointed. I don't know how many days from now, I'm bad at math, but Christmas morning is coming around soon, and all your kids are going to unwrap those presents, and you will... Eric's saying it's eight days. Thank you, Eric. You, we, will, we will unwrap presents, and there will be joy in that moment. But how long-lasting will it be? As I've gotten older and older, that joy lasts less and less and less. Because then it's cleanup time. Then we're just moving on to something else. And eventually, you know, the gifts that we were given fade. The excitement, the joy fade. And, you know, a month, two, three months, a year, two months, those objects disappointed us because there's something else much more exciting. Here's point number three. Real long-lasting eternal joy is found only in Christ Jesus. Real long-lasting eternal joy is found only in Christ Jesus. When I first 
encountered the Lord in the middle of a forest up in Heber Overgard at the age of 16, there was tremendous joy. And guys, fast forward all these years, he has not disappointed one bit. Daily reminders of his presence and goodness within me. Daily reminders of his acts and his promises and and the prayers that I've prayed being answered and encouraging me still years and years later. Real, long-lasting, eternal joy, folks, is found only in Jesus Christ. When we look at our text this morning, specifically verse 10, the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of mega joy that will be for all people. Folks, joy comes from the good news of Jesus Christ. It comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And anything else is deficient and lacking and limited, finite. Why does real long-lasting joy come only from Christ? This is the next thing I want to address. Why is that? And I have six points here, and they're just all doctrinal theological points. We're going to do some doctrine review. Number one, why is long-lasting real joy found only in Jesus Christ? Number one, because we have been illuminated in Christ Jesus. Why should our joy be attached to Jesus and nothing else? Because Jesus has illuminated us. When we talk about the joy of our salvation, okay, what is salvation? We're going to talk about six aspects of our joy as it pertains to our salvation. And the first is illumination, the theological doctrine of illumination, that you and I have been illuminated in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that just as the shepherds were in the dark and God revealed himself to them through the angel, the lights came on, the glory shined, he does the same thing in the life of believers, that he shows up And he illuminates, he opens eyes to see. Listen carefully, in our theology, he opens eyes so that we can say yes to him. How many of you guys have ever been blind? Blinded. You know, struggled with sight. Raise your hand if you wear glasses or contacts. I was at a Grand Canyon game a week ago or so, and I was reminded of this. One of the players, his contact popped out. You can't play basketball with one contact in and one contact out, right? It's all about depth perception when you're looking at the hoop, right? And it brought me back to when I was 16 playing, and one of my contacts popped out. And I didn't have a spare like this guy did. So guess what I did? I ran up into the stands. Do you remember this, Dad? My dad popped out one of his contacts, and I put it into my missing contact eye. And I played the rest of the game with my one contact, from one of my contacts, one of my dad's contacts. To see! So that I could see. Crazy stuff, right? The things we do for our children. No infection afterwards. But the, but the scripture speaks to us clearly that before Christ, we couldn't see. We were unable to see clearly the things of God. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty five at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Why? Because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and, but, revealed them to infants. Father, because this was your good pleasure, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one 
knows the Son. No one can know the Son because no one can see the Son as He truly is. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal Him. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. We can't see. We're unable to see until the Lord illuminates us. We cannot see because, right here, this last sentence leads us into second point, because we are spiritually dead. And so number two, where's our joy to be found? It's to be found in the Lord Jesus who not only illuminated us, but regenerated us. We have been regenerated in Christ Jesus. That's something to be thankful for. That is something to be joyful about. That is something to rejoice in. What does it mean to be regenerated? Regeneration is a fancy word to come back to life. Actually, sorry, not back to life, to come to life. What the Bible teaches is that we were never alive to begin with. That according to Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul's reminding the church of Ephesus, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previous walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others also were. But, the good news, the gospel. But what? But God... Not us. We couldn't see. Not us. We were dead. But God, in His what? Mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, He made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Get it through your fat, thick head. Before that, you were blind. Before that, you were dead. But in His grace, in His mercy, He regenerated us. He made us alive. He snapped His fingers and we came to life. Titus 3.5, He saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done. That's not how anyone is saved. We didn't somehow earn His favor to look upon us. We didn't do stuff to get His attention so that He would smile our way and find pity in us. He found pity in us because of our absolute sinfulness, our absolute inability to turn to Him, to want Him, to choose Him. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be born again. Our joy is great, folks, because the Lord has illuminated us. Our joy is great because the Lord has made us alive. Number three, in this order. Third, we have been justified in Christ Jesus. You know, this last week I had the opportunity to go back or to go to the high school that I will be teaching at in the spring to observe, to meet teachers, get set up with my laptop and ID and parking pass and 
figure out how to buy lunch and everything else. But I sat in several classes, and I was quickly reminded. I've been out of the classroom for over a decade, but I was quickly reminded about human nature and and the constant battle of addressing, let's say, the students, that punk kid's justifying behavior. Real quick, you know, didn't take long to notice it, to see it. But the teacher says something, the student does something else, the teacher calls him on it, and the student tries to justify his or her behavior. Justification is not a word that we use often. It's not something that Americans just throw around. What does it mean? Justification speaks to our attempts to justify ourselves before the Lord. But the Bible is clear, the gospel is clear, that we cannot justify our sin. We are guilty. We stand condemned. But there is one who justifies us. And his name is Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we, sorry, he made the one who did not know sin, the Father made the Son who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that, here's the purpose behind it, in him, in Christ Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. What justification teaches is that something miraculous happened. We were not worthy of salvation. We were not worthy of any of these six experiences. But in God's mercy, he sent his son to die for us, that the father sent the son to die in our place. And on the cross, the Lord Jesus took upon himself everything that we deserved And in place, in substitution, we got his righteousness. We got everything he deserved. That the Lord took upon himself all of our unrighteousness, and in so doing, gave us all of his righteousness. What is right behavior? What does it mean? What does it look like to behave rightly before the the Creator? You and I fail at that all the time. But there was one, there is one who fulfilled all of it, who did all of it correctly, who lived righteously 100%. And on the cross, we see God's work to take what belonged to us and to give to us what belonged to his son instead. And so justification is not our work to justify, but it's Christ's work to justify us on behalf of the Son. And so our great joy, folks, our great joy is this knowledge, it's this doctrine that we have been sin, that we have been saved from sin's condemnation. We no longer deserve wrath. We deserve entry into His court. We deserve blessing. And, the, and, and that leads to the next doctrine. What, what is that blessing? It's adoption. What is our joy? Our joy is directly attached to the knowledge that we have been adopted in Christ Jesus. That, that we have been illuminated, that we have been, that we have been regenerated, that we have been justified in here. We have been adopted into God's heavenly family. This is, you know, particular for us because we have adopted. And and we were, you know, most days we don't think about that at all. Like, I never, I rarely think about Mia being adopted until I get to these passages. We've had her for 11 years now, almost 12. It was clear last Sunday, though, we went out to Peter Piper with her bio brothers and it was just more clear you know she's brown and all of her bio brothers are brown and we're all a bunch of whites 
And the juxtaposition was just clearer. But here's the deal. You know, she she was nervous, you know, kind of excited to see her bio brothers. Maybe there's a, a flicker of joy there. She knows them. It's not like they're lost to her. But here's the deal. It is clear, it's clear that she comes from another. It's clear. But Mia's a Gorley. Through and through, Mia is a Gorley. That's my last name if you're confused. <laughs> she acts like us, she talks like us, she thinks like us, same values, same convictions. She looks different, but she's a Gorley. And it's the same thing for those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's this joy because you belong. You're no longer wandering. You're no longer homeless in this world. You're not an orphan. There's belonging because you now are a part of God, creator God's family. Where once you were alienated, now you have been brought close, so close that he refers to you as his son or daughter, and you get to refer to him as dad. Amen. Romans, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters. How? Through Christ for himself, through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. His will. Listen, praise God it wasn't based on our will. Because if God hadn't interceded in my life and illuminated and regenerated me, I know what I would have done. Instead of going to Grand Canyon, I would have gone to ASU. Sorry, Kyle. And I would have got in trouble. I would have got in serious trouble. Because I knew what my life was before 16. Our joy is great, folks. Why? Because we have also been saved from sin's alienation. We've been brought close. Those days where you're struggling for to find joy, remember, you belong to the Father. Number five, we are being sanctified in Christ Jesus. The verbs change here a bit. But another joy of our salvation is this knowledge that although we are not yet fully looking like Jesus, we're looking more like him than we used to. That there's this process by which we are becoming more and more like Christ. Romans 12, 1 through 2, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. What is sanctification? It's God's work within us to change our mind, to renew our mind. In His grace, the Holy Spirit continues to work within us and through us, making us more and more into the image of Christ Jesus. This is joy. This is joyful news. This is joyful good news. On those days when you feel like you can't hack it, that you haven't lived up to it, remember your justification is in Christ, and remember your sanctification is in Christ as well. He has not stopped working. All right? If you feel like he's not working, it might be just because you have taken the wheel and you're trying to work. So give him the wheel again. Turn back to him again. That's called repentance and faith. Trust him to continue his good work within you. And let me tell you, there will be joy in that. Because there's no joy when you've got the will and you're trying to do it all yourself, at the end of the day, 
Just as I said up above, you disappoint yourself. All of your works end up disappointing yourself. Turn back to the Lord. Number six, we will be glorified in Christ Jesus. This is the end, the telos. This is the trajectory and the culminating end point for our faith. Philippians 3.20-21, through 21, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there. That's where he's at right now. We're waiting for his return. This is the Lord. This is Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glory, glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Where should our joy come from when things are rough and, and the struggle is real? We need to remember our doctrines. We need to remember what the Bible communicates. That there's an ending point and it's glorious. One day we will get new bodies and all, all the lingering effects of sin will be stripped from us. Our joy is great, folks, for we will be saved from sin's full corruption. Now, in the context of our passage, joy. It's interesting to me that the shepherds, if you look at the text, the shepherds are never reported as experiencing this great joy that the Lord proclaimed through the angel. He proclaimed it, but there's nothing in the text telling us that they actually received it, embraced it. We infer, as we read, that they may have been bored, you know, just another night on the job. We're told that they were mega terrified. Their responses show us that they were interested in seeing this Christ child. They left everything and went to see him. And we're also shown or told that they uh, take off, go back to their jobs worshiping the Lord. But there's no specific explanation about them having experienced this mega joy. And it's not until Matthew 28, 8, that we see this mega joy explicitly stated, having been experienced in Matthew 28, 8. So departing quickly from the tomb, with fear and great joy, they, that's Mary and Mary, ran to tell the disciples the news. The next time we see this phrase, mega joy, isn't until his resurrection. The story begins of his birth with mega joy, the pronouncement of it. But the first time we see a particular person experience this great joy, interestingly enough, it's after the resurrection. Why is that? Because the resurrection changes everything. Those six points above, all of them are real, true, experienced. How? Through the death and the resurrection. It's the power of the resurrection that accomplishes those six truths. Our joy is complete because of Christ's resurrection. And so our central truth this morning, expectations for joy. This is what I want you to walk out with. This is what I need to walk out with. Our expectations for joy placed in anything but the Lord Jesus will always rob us of true joy. Everything else will fall short. Everything else will disappoint. All created things cannot hold a place to the Creator and the joy that is in Him. True joy, folks, comes through Jesus Christ. So what's robbed you of your joy in the Lord this week? As we can step back just a bit and reflect before we depart, what has robbed you of your joy in the Lord this week? 
What have you allowed to rob you of your joy in the Lord this week? Have you allowed confusion of what is right and wrong, stress, fear, frustrations about the world and all of its deceits to rob you of your joy? As you listen to the newscast, as you read the articles, as you run into someone weird at the store and it just frustrates you to no end, the corruption of this world, has have, have you allowed that and all the external events and circumstances of your life in this world to rob you of your joy? Or have you remembered through the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit the truths that really matter? Have you allowed the frustrations of this world to prevent you from remembering the joy that you have in having been illuminated by the Holy Spirit? That you have a perspective that the world doesn't. Praise God. Have you allowed an overwhelming sense of emptiness and deadness to rob you of your joy? Maybe here, and you have never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you feel convicted that you are dead, that you're just a walking zombie without any life in you, and you're craving and you're desiring life, or as a Christian, you have departed so far from the Lord that this week you've just felt dead. Will you turn back to the Lord? Will you be reminded that there is joy in the Lord because he has made you alive? That death no longer has hold of you. That there is life and life abundantly available to you in Christ. Not in your car, your bank account, your relationship with so-and-so. Those things will not deliver, but Jesus Christ always will. Number three, have you allowed the heavy burden of trying to make yourself right with God once again? Instead of remembering the joyous truth that it's not about what we do, it's not about what we have done, it's not about what we will do, but it's all about what Jesus Christ has done to justify us. Number four, have you been just feeling lonely, isolated, siloed, Have you been battling depression? This is like heavy. This is real. Will you turn back to the Lord? Will you trust this morning once again that you belong? That you belong to His family. And it's not just belonging to Him as Father, but guys, you belong to one another. That we belong to one another. This is, this is the community of God. This is the gathering of His people. This is why church is so important. Not to come and feel good about because of the music or the sermon or whatever, but to feel good, to feel joy as you hug each other before and after the service. As you catch up and as you share and as you pray for one another in our community groups. The Lord Jesus has adopted us into his family. Remember that. And and remember the joy of that truth in your week, on your Monday through Saturday struggle. Again, we have community groups here, and um, there's lots to choose from. You can like you can make a decision today that church life is not just regulated to 10.30 on Sunday morning. You can make a decision today that church life is much broader than just 10.30 service. That there's Bible studies, there's coffees, there's all sorts of fellowships with His people available to you. Number five, sanctified. Are you tired of trying to become more holy let me say it. Let me ask you again. Are you tired of trying to become more holy? Stop. Stop. The Lord makes you more holy. Go to Him. Spend time with Him. Love Him. Trust that He'll make you holy. Pursue His joy. And He'll make you holy. Number six, some days this is all I've got. 
You know, some some days that are just so much harder than others. This is all I got. One day, one day it will all be over. One day, he'll come back. One day, I'll be with him. And you know what? That's often enough. Amen? Like, just this world is in disarray. It's confusing. It's upside down. It's evil. It's wicked. It's vile. It's depraved. So many adjectives. But there's that hope that Pastor Kyle started us off with during this Advent season. One day, he's coming back. And what a glorious day it will be. His glory and our glory. Expectant joy is the title of this sermon this morning, folks. Do you expect joy, or have you just been kind of going through it, hoping it might hit you? We don't have to hope. The Lord has already accomplished it. It's there for our taking. We just need to turn back to Him and rediscover it. Our joy is in Jesus Christ and no one else. Amen? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank you for this time together to come before you, to gather as your people. Lord, we pray for your continued grace upon us to know your joy. Lord, not just to know of your joy theoretically, theologically, to know these doctrines and nod our head to them, but to really believe them, Lord, to appropriate them into our minds and our hearts, so that we might actually be able to live them. I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning, and I ask that in this coming week, Monday through Saturday, Lord, that you would empower all of us to live in your joy, that you would grace us in your joy, that we would be reminded of the source of joy. Lord, that our hearts would be enticed by you, not the things of this world. Lord, that you and your joy would be far more alluring than any quote-unquote joy that this world promotes. Lord, right now, bathe us in your joy. Wash us anew in your joy. We May we know your love for us. May we know your grace for us. May we know that you are for us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.